Is this thing on? Yeah, good. All right, fellas, uh, welcome back for episode two of the show. Um, before we get started, we got to record this thing. Uh, they call it a stinger. It's like an open for the show, but it's not part of the show, but it's supposed to make people chuckle like they're listening to the show, even though it's not part of the show. I have no idea if that makes any sense whatsoever, but honestly, I need you guys' help trying to come up with something for this because I've been racking my brain and just I'm just not getting it. So, thoughts. What can we do here? Guys? Uh, guys? Oh, come on! All right, fine. Screw you guys. You want something done right? Do it yourself. Let's see here. Google.com. What is a stinger? Ah, booyah. Here we go. Now entering the nexus of geekery and guy world in three, two, one, mark. Hello, IT. Have you tried turning it off and on again? This is the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. A service of Shark Flight Publishing. Hey kids, welcome to episode two of the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. I am your host, Ian J. Malone, back as always, and uh, joined by my buddies here, Dave Daniels and Scott Esther. Plenty of good stuff on tap tonight. Uh, As we know, the X-Men franchise pretty well came to a close with 21st Century Fox this weekend with Dark Phoenix. We predicted it bombed, and we were right. So we'll definitely get into a little bit of that. Got some other topics to talk about in the world of geekdom. And then we'll segue out to uh, talk some more sports. we got Major League Baseball going on tonight. Season's been going on about two months now. And while that is uh, doth not a season make, it's certainly a good enough sample size to give you kind of an idea of what your team is looking like and what their needs are heading into the All-Star break. So lots of good stuff happening. Hope you'll stick around with us. As always, you can find us online at dudesinhyperspace.com. We're on Twitter, at the HyperDudes. Same thing with Facebook. You can find us there via our page, and you can always email the show at dudesinhyperspace at gmail.com. So that's pretty well the spiel. Fellas, how you doing this week? Wonderful. I am on vacation, so I'm having a great time. Yeah, I, before we go any further, I, I need to tell you our early happy birthday, sir. I know that's coming up tomorrow. Thank you, sir. I appreciate that. Uh, 41 never looked so good on somebody, I think. I'm hoping. <laughs> Be happy you still have your hair. That's, that's, I'm going to leave it at that. I was going to say, I've been trying out 41 for a while now, and that's, uh, you know, it's not, not so bad. <laughs> Definitely looking forward to that. What you got on the docket for tomorrow? Anything cool? Uh, parents are in town. Uh, sister's actually up from, uh, from South Florida, so uh, we're all going to do dinner and hang out. We did a little something over the weekend, so just uh, a, a normal 40-year-old birthday, which is uh, not a whole lot of fanfare. Nice. Scott, what's been going on with you, man? Hey, it's been a busy couple of weeks in the, with the day job, but uh, you know, really been enjoying a lot of uh, a lot of Rays baseball lately. Finished the first season of Stranger Things on Netflix, so that was uh, that was fun. Nice uh, getting getting through that, and uh, looking forward to some time off. I'm actually on vacation next week. Nice, 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 nice. Cool deal. Well, I've uh, pretty well just been plugging around. I got a short story project that I'm working on. Uh, I'll break a little bit of news on that probably here in the next week or so. So for people who listen to this podcast and want to know what I'm doing with the writing thing, I've, I've got news. I just, the ink isn't dry yet. 
uh, on the text itself and the contract. So <laughs> I can't really talk about it as of yet, but that'll be coming. And uh, then I'm gearing up to head to Chattanooga here in a couple of weeks for Liberty Con, which is a big science fiction convention with uh, particularly among the, the military science fiction crowd. A lot of, lot of fun stuff there. This will be my first year that they've actually invited me to be a guest. So I will not attend as a, a fan. I will actually be there in person and doing panels and have an author table and the whole spiel. So uh, that's a big feather in my cap. I'm actually really honored that they thought enough of me this year to invite me to that. So that's pretty well what's coming up with me here in the next Awesome. What are the weeks. dates on that? Uh, that will be the weekend of June 28th through the 30th in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, right. uh, yeah. So I'll have uh, plenty of stuff on social media. You can bet we'll be tweeting and, and Facebooking and all that happy stuff. So uh, it anyway. looks like the, uh, the the Chattanooga lookouts are in town that weekend. So if you uh, are able to sneak away, you might be able to catch oh. a catch a pitch or two there in a in a pretty unique little ballpark that I've been to. It's a nice one. Yeah, nice. We um, I tell you, I don't know that we'll have time to really touch upon it uh, in in this one. We're going to stick more with major league with the major league level. But um, man, I've, I've really fallen in love with minor league baseball since I moved to a town that has a minor league baseball club, you know, growing up in Tallahassee, it was all about college baseball, Florida state, Florida state, Florida state, college baseball. Why do we need a minor league team? We have college baseball. We're good. I move up here. It's a completely different experience and it's so awesome. So uh, anyway, minor league baseball folks, if you've got a team around you, go check it out. It really is just a blast of a time. On a, on a small note there for Scott. And I actually looked into this. Giancarlo Stanton is actually doing some rehab starts the next couple of days in Tampa. I think with the Tarpons. So uh, I've actually thought about making the drive to go down and see if I can get into that just so I can watch him play. I, mean, I did watch him at the National Stadium uh, his first year when he was playing with the uh, the Yankees, but uh, it got rained out. So I didn't get a chance to, to see a whole lot of him. But it'd be great to see him in that kind of a setting where you actually have a little more access. Yeah, well, let me know if you're uh, making the trip down. We'll, uh, we'll catch up and hopefully uh, grab a beer. Absolutely. And now I'm envious that I'm in North Carolina. <laughs> we'll be in a minor league park. Hey. So, uh, all right, that's fellas. Just, that's just how it works. Yeah. All right, fellas. Well, what do you say we kick this party off? Let's that do it. Sounds good to me. All right. Let's do some news. And now the news. All right. As indicated at the top of the show, Dark Phoenix opened this weekend to not a whole lot of fanfare at all. In point of fact, it opened with the worst opening weekend in the franchise's 20 year history at a meager 33 million. They're already estimating they're going to lose upwards of 100 mil on this picture, which, um, which honestly is too bad. It's too bad for the franchise, and it's too bad for this movie. I think it did deserve better. It's not perfect, but I also don't think it's the train wreck a lot of people are making it out to be. Uh, we're going to get into that here shortly. But suffice to say, this is the end of the X-Men franchise under 21st Century Fox, and that's a big deal because they were the ones who brought us X-Men, X2, uh, Logan. You know, they were, they were behind the franchise's warts, but they were also behind the franchise in its heyday as well. So... It's kind of sad that it's got to go out this way, but that was it. Picture comes in second this weekend behind uh, Secret Life of Pets 2, which I have absolutely zero desire to see. Uh, Shifting gears away from the comic book world to the old school 80s sci-fi world, which is always a favorite topic of mine. The long-awaited sequel to Ghostbusters 2 is actually coming. And it was confirmed over the weekend that it will star the entire original cast, minus Harold Ramis, of course, who passed away a few years ago. But everybody's back, including Bill Murray, who said he would never do it. But apparently something has turned his head because the writer and director of the film, uh, Jason Reitman, who is the son of Ivan Reitman, who directed the original back in 84, 
Uh, confirmed that at a Ghostbusters fan fest this weekend, that the entire original cast has a script, has read the script, signed off on the script, and they start shooting in five weeks. Ghostbusters 3, or whatever they're going to call it, uh, will hit theaters July 10th of 2020, but there is a teaser trailer online right now if you want to go check it out. And finally, this week in uh, kind of fun news, if you will, early reviews for Toy Story 4 are starting to roll out. And really, to no one's surprise, they are absolutely glowing. Everybody from ComingSoon.net to uh, to Variety, everybody who's had a chance to see it is saying that it is the perfect close to the franchise. And once again, Disney Pixar hits a home run with the Toy Story brand. So, good stuff there. Uh, that's pretty well it on the headlines. This is kind of a light time of year. Uh, a lot of people, particularly in genre, are gearing up for San Diego Comic Con here in a couple of weeks. And that's when you'll get a flurry of big headlines. So, this is kind of the calm before the storm. But I did want to point out, particularly the, uh, the Ghostbusters thing. And guys, we can get into this a little bit if you want after we talk Dark phoenix or we can talk about it now why not we're on the fly that way ghostbusters you guys care about this not really i'll be honest (laughs) i mean it's it's been so long i mean it's i i you know what if it was going to be something true to form it was going to be if it didn't feel like it was being done just because someone wanted to make money right then then absolutely will i go see it more than likely I'll, i'll catch it on netflix or i'll catch it at the house when it comes through but uh uh you know for me with toy story 4 uh, with Canoe, which is our nickname for Keanu Reeves, right. with Canoe in it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens to Slinky Dog because if Slinky Dog goes off someplace, there's no telling what's going to happen with Canoe's character. <laughs> Scott, you care about a new Ghostbusters film? You know, it's uh, it's interesting because I would love to. Um, it's it's one that I haven't reengaged the kids with um, on yeah. on the, this content that I grew up with, so it's probably a good opportunity to watch it again, see if uh, it's something that the, my kids would be interested in, and then you know. We can sort of make it a family outing at that point. On its face, I think uh, I think Bill Murray's pretty entertaining. Love to see uh, Dan Aykroyd. I'm not sure what kind of shape he's going to be in, right? Um, but uh, you know, we'll see see what it comes up with. Um, I've been taking a lot of uh, a lot of projects that have been coming on the uh, entertainment front lately, just uh, with a grain of salt and with zero expectations. And yep. uh, we'll see. Um, but I'm kind of like you, Dave. Uh, you know, I might go check it in a theater, but. Uh, Probably uh, more of a at-home viewing, uh, mm-hmm. most likely. I'll be very interested to see the first trailer. Put it that way. I mean, ordinarily, I wouldn't care. Yes, it. it I think that the knee-jerk reaction is to say, "Oh, here's another Hollywood cash grab. We're going to take a stroll down memory lane with another nostalgia trip. Get the band back together for one more hurrah. Get them, you know, get get them, get their walkers, get their Metamucil, everything they need. You know, let's go make some money." But what catches me on this is Bill Murray has been so adamant for years that he really wants nothing to do with this. And he's not a guy who signs up for this stuff just to land a payday. He pretty well does whatever it is that he wants. So the fact that he has apparently signed on to do this, eh, I mean, that that makes me say, okay, I'll see what the first trailer looks like, and then we'll go from there. Now, you're aware that Bill Murray is one of the few people in Hollywood that doesn't work through an agent, correct? You know how he gets his movies? I do not. So educate the, me. What do we got? There is literally a number you call, you leave a message, Murray listens to it. If he likes it, he calls you back. If he doesn't, you hear nothing. He has no agent. He just does his own thing. He's kind of like a unicorn. Uh, he just sort of <laughs> pops up in uh in the weirdest places and uh you know, you just never know what you're going to get. He could uh he could crash your crash your buddy's wedding or uh you know, show up at a uh down in Charleston. He's a uh, part of the river dogs there and uh, in Charleston, he can show up at a ball game. Right. Um, you know, you just never know where he's going to, going to end up. So the fact that he, des- he decided to jump on this probably means that, um, you know, there's probably a little bit of a nostalgia, a little bit of, uh, 
you know, paying homage to uh, the people that came along with it. And, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, when you're Bill Murray, you can do whatever you freaking want because that's what Bill Murray does. Hail to the king, baby. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) All right, so Dark Phoenix. That's uh, the one everybody's talking about right now. Uh, sadly so. Uh, Dave, I know you got a chance to see it. Scott, did you get a chance to catch it this weekend? I did, and um, but I'll let uh, let Dave uh, take the lead on this one. <laughs> I think this one's probably closer to his uh, to his heart than uh, than mine. Dave, you just saw it this afternoon because you texted me when you got out of the theater. You said C plus B minus. Yeah. Opine. Uh, you know, I, and, and after having given a little more time to look at it, you could tell that that there was some laziness going on with this movie. Um, you look at uh, Beast and you look at Raven and their characters, and they spend probably eighty to eighty-five percent of their character out of makeup. Yeah, and uh, in, in their in their human form, as you will. Right. Um, you know, I I'm gonna I, I told you C plus B minus. I'm gonna stick it more in the C to C plus range. Now that I've had okay. a little bit of time to look at it, I I really think that some of the dialogue was lazy. Um, you know, I will say that, uh, that for me watching that Magneto was just the guy that plays that it, and, and the whole deal was just amazing watching the stuff that he was able to do and the yep. things that he did when, when it's not a geriatric Magneto, yep. man, that was something else to watch. Yeah. The reason to watch the newer X-Men films is without a doubt McAvoy and Fassbender, James McAvoy being a young Charles Xavier and, and Michael Fassbender being a young Magneto. Those guys were absolutely, sh- they were showstoppers. Um, you know, I stand by, you don't have an X-Men film if you don't have Wolverine. Sorry. That's just kind of my take on it. If you, if Wolverine is not in your X-Men film, it's missing something. And at least you got a cameo out of him in a, in a couple of, you know, of the other films. But, um, you know, but these last two, not at all. And I, I felt like you really, you really missed that. I, you know, I said this on Facebook to somebody who asked me about it and I, I stand by this now having, I guess, three days out from having seen it. This is the movie that should have been X-Men 3. Um, had you told this story with the original cast, Wolverine included, I think this actually does does quite well. I don't think it's a perfect film, but I think it's it gets a much better reception if this is X-Men 3 instead of the train wreck you got with Last Stand. And I say that because I didn't think the story was that bad. Um, I, I thought it had some slow points in places, but it was slow... Because you have no history with these characters. I mean, I don't know Sophie Turner as Jean Grey. She's been a you know a one-off bit part the couple of times that I have seen her so far um, in, in that role. So, you know, obviously we're not giving anything away by saying that she is the centerpiece of the film. She goes through a whole lot of trial and everybody goes through a whole lot of trial with her in this story. That doesn't carry any weight with me. I, I have no history with you. And we talked about this when we were kind of comparing Justice League versus Avengers and where Marvel has gone so right and DC went so wrong. Yeah, the big argument with Justice League was we didn't have any history, or Batman v Superman anyway. We didn't have any history with Ben Affleck as Batman. We didn't know him. You didn't know Wonder Woman. You didn't know uh, Ezra Miller as Barry Allen and The Flash. You didn't know Aquaman. You had met all these people for the first time, and yet suddenly you're supposed to care about them when they're thrust into these big epic uh, circumstances. It's the same thing here, all right? This is not my X-Men team. My X-Men team was Patrick Stewart. It was Kelsey Grammer, who was a great beast. Um, I remember that casting and a friend of ours being like, that's the biggest pile of crap ever. I was like, dude, close (laughs) your eyes, take away what the guy looks like, and think of his voice. He's beast. And sure Mm -hmm. enough, he nailed it. 
So, you know, had he's this... also Sideshow Bob. So there you go. You know. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I think had you told this story with the cast that everybody knew and everybody had time with and was invested in the weight of everything that happens in this movie takes on a, a whole nother level. I don't want to get into spoilers because it's a brand new film. A lot of folks haven't had a chance to see it if they're even going to see it before Redbox. Um, we'll say, you know, they, they, everybody has alluded to there's a little bit of a body count in this. Um, I really didn't care about any of that. Um, I the, the body count in Avengers, the one in the climax particularly, really hit hard because you had 10 years of story to set that up. I could care less about anybody who died in this film. I just, I didn't care. I actually kind of rolled my eyes as my wife snickered in the chair beside me. That was kind of how that went over. So uh, yeah, I'd, I'd put this one in the uh, in the generic superhero category. It just it just felt um, there, there was nothing super exciting about the acting. There's nothing super super exciting about the set. It, it just didn't do a whole lot for me. And so um, I, I felt like they were just sort of checking a box here. Yeah. And um, and the fans are going to do exactly what the uh, the filmmakers did. They're going to check the red box. Yeah. Uh, on this one. So it also can't be um, it can't be lost in the equation. What was going on around the industry when this movie was set to come out? I mean, 20th Century Fox, once upon a time or once upon a time. I mean, the X franchise was their crown jewel. I remember the anticipation for for the original X-Men and just how stoked we were when it came out. And they rode that train for the you know the better part of seven or eight years. Hugh Jackman, his his career was made off of the X-Men franchise. All of that happened with 21st Century Fox. Now, comes up in the last year and a half, Disney's buying 21st Century Fox, they're taking over all those franchises. And I think to some degree, X-Men was kind of a casualty of that transition. You know, it was half-handled by 21st Century Fox, and then, you know, kind of half-handled with Disney because they bought the company, uh, the merger closed, and it's like, well... We have this already in the can, so we have to release it and do something with it. Let's go ahead and just get it out there. Then we'll sit on the franchise for, you know, five, six, seven years. We'll reboot it in the MCU, and that'll be that. And so you kind of got what you got. And that's too bad, because once upon a time in its heyday, the X-Men franchise, it was the first one. I mean, if you stop and think about it, X-Men came out at a time when this, this comic book revolution did not exist. It was the first one. Then I want to say the year after that, you got the first Spider-Man with um, Tobey Maguire. So, I mean, X-Men was really, when you get down to it, kind of the one that pioneered this right around the year 2000. I was going to say it also spawned one of the one of the, the great lines in Deadpool. The McAvoy <laughs> or Stewart, these timelines are, are confusing. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, you need... I'd forgotten no, about that one. <laughs> yeah, you need to look no further than the X-Men timeline to see just how much Fox screwed to Pooch by the time they were done with it. I mean, they oh. had made a they had made a mess of it. I have no no illusions. But um, but go back and watch Days of Future Past if you get a chance, if you haven't seen that one. That one was, was very much worth watching. So, uh, all right, so you're going to give it the C, Dave. Scott, I'm presuming you're going to go C as well? Yeah, pretty much. I, you know, I... C, maybe C plus, um, but uh, yeah, I can't do much more than that. All right, I'm going to be the optimist here, and I'm going to give it a, a token B minus, and that's because for a long time I have loved the franchise, and also because, and I I would tell this to anybody who's on the fence about whether or not they want to see this movie, and Dave alluded to this earlier, McAvoy and Fassbender are the reason why you watch this film. They're great. Anytime those two, those two actors are on scene together, just sit back and watch and enjoy it. Uh, McAvoy is a great young Charles Xavier. You know, the Jean Grey story, this is all, 
you know, comic, so it's not, you're not giving anything away with this, plus they alluded to it in Last Stand. And he kind of manipulated her mind a little bit when she was a kid in order to keep her safe. That's, that's a very old part of this story. And, you know, the fallout from that when she finds out and that sense of betrayal, I could care less about Sophie Turner and, and her contribution to that story. But I thought McAvoy really sold that. I mean, he looked like a guy who was completely tortured about the decision that he made and you bought it. Same thing with Fassbender and his portrayal of Magneto. He blows the doors off of anything Ian McKellen ever did as Magneto. I know mm-hmm. it's a different character at a different point in life and whatever, but I was never as engaged in Magneto as a character with McKellen as I am with Fassbender. Fassbender's absolutely incredible. As a matter of fact, I'd say he's probably the best thing about this franchise in this incarnation with the younger cast. So, all right, closing thoughts on Dark Phoenix. Anybody else got any? You got anything you want to put out on that? Parting shots, as it were. I think that's pretty much it. I think it just there was some there was some lazy writing. Uh, you know, that was the the very end. Right. Uh, when when you got to the big part of it, there was a line there that you just I think everyone in the theater probably had a nice groan about. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, just I think I think they were like, all right, we got to put this out. Let's. Oh, you know what? People come watch this because she's on Game of Thrones. Let's just have her do her thing. Yeah. On a sidebar, Jessica Chastain. My wife referred to her as Mama Nelson, i.e., of the the nineties pop group the blonde hair guys <laughs> because of the hair she's like i'm sorry i can't take mama nelson seriously that is not a villain that is not a villain at all <laughs> so i'm sorry scott i totally stepped on your take go ahead no i just uh i just feel like in in general i think um the superheroes on genre is gonna have to take a big deep breath and uh a reset and um, hopefully we can get some good storytellers uh, putting some storylines in place that uh, give these characters the room to grow and the uh, the chance to to stand alone in a lot of cases. I think you know some of these things get thrown together in sort of the frenzy of like, hey, this stuff has really taken off, and a lot of people yeah. are coming to watch the movies, and now we're going to make some money. So let's just keep this train rolling, and all of a sudden you end up with uh, some things that feel forced. And um, you know, so I'd really like to see everyone just sort of take a deep breath here, sort yep. of reset themselves, and figure out. Um, some good storylines to, to produce in the future. Yeah. Well, there was some news on that uh, this week. It wasn't major news, but it was just, um, you're starting to, we t- and we talked about this actually in episode one, what's Marvel going to do now that Endgame has come out? What is, what is the next phase, quote unquote, look like for them? And that's starting to come into focus a little bit more with some comments from some of the studio heads and, and whatnot with properties that they've announced, the films that are coming and some of the stories that they want to tell with those, they are going to go with, I think, a little bit more of a cosmic flair uh, with some of the new characters they are going to roll out. But I also don't know that you're going to see another 10-year story like what you got with Infinity War and Endgame. I, uh, the line I heard this week is, we're going to focus on many arcs instead of one big giant arc for everybody. And we're going to kind of keep things simple for a while. And I think that's smart, you know, particularly with regard to the X-Men franchise. I really hope they sit on this for the better part of a decade. I don't need another X-Men movie for quite some time. Give me plenty of time to get the filth out of my mouth from Apocalypse. Um, this one wasn't much better, but I do think it is worth watching. Like I said, I give it a B-. minus. But um, X-Men definitely needs a break. Definitely. Give it five, six, seven years, reboot it in the MCU, and then then come back. But if there was ever a franchise that needs a breather, this is the one. It's Disney. You'll get something in within three. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so uh all right well cool deal so that's pretty much it on dark phoenix talk 
Uh, Scott, I know you've been itching to get on some baseball talk ever since we started talking about this podcast. And so when I was coming up with topics to kind of shift out of the geek stuff for on this one, baseball was kind of high on my list. Plus, there's been some fun stuff happening in baseball lately that I think big picture wise is fun to talk about. Um, You know, we're two months into the season now. Um, Like we said at the outset, that, that doesn't make a season by any stretch of the imagination. But it is it is a sample size. And it's a decent enough sample size that you can get a taste of what your team is all about. What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? What are the things you're going to have to address heading to the you know the All Star break? That if you do tend to make a run into the postseason, what are the things you're going to have to clean up? Stars have emerged, trends have happened, and we are where we are. Um, you know, to no one's surprise, the Astros and the Dodgers are are on top of the world. Both of those teams look absolutely fantastic. I think Yankees are going to be just fine when they get healthy. Uh, much to a whole lot of people's chagrin. I also think that Boston is probably going to be a factor before this is over, even though they, they're they not without their issues right now. Um, Twinkies are looking pretty solid, and your Rays looking fairly good, man, doing some things. You're on top of your division right now. I'll say as of this, uh, as of this recording, they're uh, tied at the top of the Yankees. Yeah. And um, third best record in, uh, in all of the American League. So, yeah, this is, um, this is an exciting time especially on the, on the baseball front, um, you know, for you know, the, the years old adage is that you can't win the pennant in April, but you sure as hell can lose it. Yeah. And, um, so there's a lot of teams that, uh, showed us that they're capable of losing the pennant in April. Yeah. Um, you know, so, uh, you start to take those, uh, those folks off the, uh, off the, the board right away. And you start to focus in on, uh, who's going to end up being the, uh, the buyers and sellers come, all-star break and uh, trading deadline. So, uh, but interestingly enough, this, this year was a little bit different because uh, there was two free agent players that were still on the board come the, uh, the deadline to, and it has to do with draft picks and all kinds of stuff. And we could dive deep into um, uh, some of that inside baseball, but uh, high level stuff is, uh, you know, Dallas Keuchel and uh, Kimbrell were still free yep. agents available this late in the season, which, uh, virtually never happens. Right. Um, and it all has to do with draft picks, um, you know, in future years and things. And, uh, so, uh, that deadline is passed. And so, uh, those two guys got snapped up pretty quick. And, um, you know, you mentioned it earlier about, you know, what does a team have to do to, uh, solidify their team for a postseason run. And part of that big part of that is picking up, uh, reliable pitching. Uh, so, you know, Atlanta picks up, uh, Dallas Keuchel and, uh, is going to be able to, you know, solidify their starting rotation, and then the the Cubs go out and get Kimbrel. So, uh, to get the back end, I read an interesting commentary on uh, on on that signing for Atlanta and how he could. You know, this is this is a stretch, but in a lot of respects, he could be uh, a Greg Maddox type of player for that rotation. When Maddox came in, in the I guess it was ninety three. He was not a burner by any stretch of the imagination. He is not a he is not a flamethrower. He was just a solid technically sound pitcher and when you paired him with what they already had on that roster at the time he was the cherry on top that made the magic and we all know what the Braves became in the 90s Atlanta has a really really young staff a lot of talent there but it's young and you know this kind of signing a lot of people think could be what it takes to solidify them and put them over the top yeah it's a veteran presence uh veteran presence in the clubhouse uh, a guy who's been there before. He's won the World Series with uh, with Houston in the past. So you know we'll see where that where that goes for their, uh, for Atlanta. They're in a right. they're in a tough division. I mean Philly is uh, is no joke this year. They're uh, they're decent and um, you know 
uh, Harper in, in Philly's gotten past his uh, slow start months and right. uh, gets into the summertime where he starts to heat up. So, you know, it doesn't get any easier. But, uh, you know, they, they want that left-handed arm to uh, to combat uh, the likes of Harper on a regular basis. So uh, it's going to be fun. I think we're, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of close races. You, when you start looking up and down the league, the AL East is, uh, you know, Boston is seven games out right now, but uh, that can all be made up. I mean, a big big part of that is because the Rays just took three or four against them this weekend. Right. Um, you get into the NL, you've got uh, the NL East is close, with, you know, with the Phillies and, and the Braves, and then the Central is um, could be anybody's game. I never really count out the Cardinals. Yeah. Uh, they always seem to be able to uh, put things together late, and uh, the Milwaukee and the Cubs are tough. Yep. Uh, the AL West is uh, probably, or the NL West is probably a foregone conclusion with the Dodgers. I don't know anybody's going to make any moves to catch them there, but uh, so we'll see. Um, that's one of the things uh, that you got to love about a 162 game season is that a lot of these things can play out over time, and you've got to be good. Yep. You've got to be good day in day out. I noticed you did not cite my uh, my Cincinnati Reds when running mm-hmm. down the possible teams of contenders in the NL Central there. <laughs> No, I think um, they're um, they're sellers in uh, two terms of the, uh, the yeah. in the pronunciation. So uh, I think they'll be uh, they'll be someone who, if they've got any uh, any prospects or things that they can move to uh, better themselves, they'll probably be sellers at the All Star break if they've got any anybody to give. Uh, but they're also in the seller. They're going to conceivably lose what little of their loyal fan base is left. If they do yeah. that, they can't do that for another year, man. I mean, this yeah. was supposed to be the year. And I'm not going to bog the podcast down with a bunch of Cincinnati Reds talk because nobody other than me really cares. <laughs> um, but I mean, th- th- this is this team is so much more talented than their record. And, you know, they just cannot seem to connect the dots. One night pitching will be absolutely on fire. Luis Castillo. I mean, that guy, the guy has blown the doors off this season and nobody saw that coming, but he's been fantastic. Uh, you throw in Sonny Gray, who looks like most nights the Sonny Gray of old from Oakland. Um, you know, Rourke is is steady, Eddie. He's he's had his hiccups so far this season, but he's also had had some games in there when he's been solid. Bullpen's been solid, but then the the nights that you know that the pitching is strong, they get nothing out of the bats, and then they'll have nights when pitching goes off the rails, and you know, and 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 they can't can't keep up that way. Then they'll have nights when David Bell will just make some ridiculous decision like pulling a guy who's freaking throwing a two hitter in the fifth, just because he feels like he needs to be Milwaukee and, uh, and go to the pen. But, uh, but I digress. He's a young guy, young manager, first time manager. He's kind of learning the ropes of, I think what it means to manage a club at this level. And, um, they got a way to go, man, but I'm really hoping they'll find a way to circle the wagons and just get toward 500. You know, I mean, I don't, nobody expects this club to challenge for a world series, but 500, man, you got the talent to be able to pull that off. Meanwhile, those of us down in Miami know that 500 is pretty much a pipe dream. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my my Marlins are most definitely tanking for two. No, wait a minute. That's the other Miami team. I apologize. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I will say, though, I haven't, haven't listened to you for a little bit. Uh, Dodgers, Astros doing well, you know, mid, mid-40s in their wins. Uh, I think the team that's going to be to watch has been a lot of offense right now is the Twins. Yep. Only 43 wins, but they're at a, a plus 112 right now in the run differential which is crazy at this point in the season. I mean, 112 runs more than the people behind them have scored. So, uh, you know, you give them a couple of couple of uh, pitchers, and they're they're probably going to be a little more a little more into it if they can uh, keep up the production and stop the other team from hitting as much. Right. Well, it was interesting that you bring up the the Twins. I mean, they're hitting home runs at a at an alarming pace uh, and alarming for everyone else in the league. They have uh, 
put together an offense that is uh, sneaky good, has uh, a lot of good things going there, which is interesting because um, they have uh, a brand new manager in Rocco Baldelli. Former Ray. Spent, yep. Spend a, a ton of years, uh, you know, a big part of uh, the race success over the years, both uh, on and uh, on the field and in the dugout. And, you know, teams like that who are starting to take a look at um, the different pieces of an organization that the rest of the league doesn't value. Um, and what I mean by that is uh, all the rage right now and uh, on the offensive side of baseball is launch angle. That's all you hear about, you know. They're even throwing stats up on the, on TV of the angle that the ball left the bat, how far it could travel, exit velocity, those types of things. And those are all things that have been valued over the last couple of years. And the, the Twins and the Rays and a couple of other teams are, are starting to look at, okay, well, if that's what everyone values, where's the deficit in the, in the baseball market? How do you counteract um, you know, the things that are popular across the league on the offensive front? And so uh, you're starting to see... You know, teams like the Rays and even the, even the Twins on the pitching side gobbling up pitchers that then counteract launch angle swings. So uh, guys who can control a high fastball, guys who can throw uh, a 12 to 6 curveball. Um, you know, those types of things are starting to become where the uh, the alternate market is, is showing up. So I'm not surprised that the Twins are playing well this year. Uh, they've got a really good team. Um, I'm a little disappointed in uh, the rest of the Central, the AL Central. Didn't necessarily think that uh, the Cleveland was going to struggle as much as they have, but they've had uh, a little bit of an injury bug. But it might be too much for them to overcome. So you know, especially with the likes of uh, some of these other teams playing well, uh, the wild card spots will get gobbled up uh, pretty quickly. And uh, I think the folks like the the White Sox and the Indians might be left out in the cold. All right. You know, you talked about the Rays and, and what they have been able to do and the the role that they're on right now. It seems like we do this. Every, you know, four or five years, the Rays serve as the model for what a small market team can be. What is it that they do? And you're the perfect person to chime in on this because you know that organization probably better than most. What is it that they do? What is what is the secret sauce that, that allows them to be able to do that? In a day and age when you've got, you know, the Yankees and the Red Sox and everybody spending 200, 250 million on a payroll, you know, to have a club that is sub 100 million by far to still continue to battle and be up there in the discussion as you start to roll through August, you know, what is it that they do that, that allows them to pull that off? Well, there's a, there's a couple things. One, um, it starts with, um, a organization wide philosophy to home grow talent. Right. So from the time that they draft players, uh, rookie ball, uh, single a advanced a double a triple a, there is a philosophy there and they are developing players from the very beginning. Because they know as a small market team, you're only going to get six years out of these guys once they hit the bigs. So what teams like the Rays have done, and the philosophy is, if we can get enough, if we can amass enough talented players, and they have to be young, but uh, talented players in the minors, uh, and bring them up together, and then plop them into the major leagues, we can create a three to four year window where we're going to be highly competitive where that six years worth of control that the team has and somewhat guaranteed free agent money because the, the last three, year, the, three years of the, the six years of control are arbitration eligible years. So uh, they can, you know, the players start to get uh, market value at that point. But, you know, if they can create a window where three to four years they can compete at a high level with controllable salaries and talent, uh, that's what they're looking for. And so when you go back to 2008, 
they had a run from 2008, 2009, 2000, I want to say 10. Um, and then they missed the playoffs in 11 and 12 and came back in 13. You know, you see them, you know, trying to figure out, okay, we'll take a couple down years to, uh, to create those windows of opportunity where we've got control over a lot of young talent. So that's really the, the, the basis of a small market team trying to uh, compete against guys who can go out and spend like the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Cubs or, you know, you know right. what have you. All right. Well, something else has kind of been in the news a bit this year. And, uh, hey, my Reds actually contribute to something on this one. Um, <laughs> the whole stand and stare thing. Uh, that was in the news mm-hmm. again last night or uh, yesterday. Uh, Madison Bumgarner gets smoked by Max Muncie. And, uh, you know, my man trots off the plate. I think Bumgarner was a little a little off his rocker, frankly, to get pissed about that. It's not like he pulled a Derek Dietrich and just stood there and stared him down from home plate before he started heading for first. Um, but that does seem to be uh, – this is this has been discussed on a couple of occasions already this year. And, you know, Major League Baseball is kind of pushing this this mantra, if you will, of let the kids play. And, you know, this is clearly an effort to, you know, to go after the younger fan base, the younger demographic of, of viewers. Every sport is doing it in, in some way or another, trying to crack that millennial nut, man. How do you turn those, how do you turn those kids into fans for your next generation? This is, this is Major League Baseball. Uh, we're going to step back. We're going to let some of this kind of play out. It's pissing off a lot of purists, too. Uh, a whole bunch of people like Frank Frangie, who's been doing you know sports commentary down in Jacksonville for years. I was listening to him earlier today, and he's furious about this. So he's a Pirates guy, and uh, when Dietrich pulled his shenanigans, that's who was on the other end of that. And he had a whole monologue about that. About he says, "Listen, there's a lot of stuff you can do, all right, but basically, stand and stare on a pitcher is the the greatest of insults." I mean, it's essentially like if you're a wide receiver who just smokes a defensive back rather than spiking the ball or spinning it in the end zone or bowling or dancing with your buddies, you turn around and just shove the ball in the face of the DB you just burned. It's like the ultimate insult, and he is not cool with that. And I know a lot of other diehard purists who feel the exact same way. That's out of, that's out of bounds. That's over the line. So, Dave, you're, you're an old-school baseball fan, all right? You go just as far back as Scott does in this game. What's your take on that? Is that – I mean, is that over the line, or is this just one of those things that, you know, this is the generation that we live in now. This is what players do. I'm going to quote the great Jimmy Johnson. Oh, God. Oof. Is this something when, I'm going to have to edit? No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm going to quote the great Jimmy Johnson when I say this. If you don't want to watch us dance, make sure you stop us on the field. Right. That's really All weird right. for a NASCAR driver to say that. <laughs> 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 exactly. No, but you know, here's the thing. Thanks for the advice. <laughs> you don't. You don't want to watch me. You don't want to do. Then, then don't. Don't miss that corner. Don't throw it where I'm going to hit it like that. And and if you watch what happened with uh, with with Bumgarner, that wasn't even a. It wasn't even a stare. I mean, you want to get. You want to see no. something that happens that that probably deserves to have that going on. Look at Joey Batista. Yeah. Batista was. Oh man. And I, I mean, I like the bat flip. Don't get me wrong, but it's it's one of those deals where it's that. But where it, it happens that way, you know. But it, the biggest thing I would say about this is baseball is a self policing sport. So when this happens, and that guy goes up and he does that, and the team doesn't like it, next time he gets up, either in that game if it's if it's appropriate, then if not, the next time they face, dude's gonna get a ninety plus mile hour fastball in the back. It's self-policing. It's going to be handled that way. I, I don't have a problem with it. I wish they'd do this in golf. You hit that ball, and you look over at Tiger and just stare. What's up, man? What you got? What, what you got going on with that? 
I'm surprised Brooks Kepka hasn't put that to the test. That's a guy who has zero craps yeah. to give about anybody. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, listen. He doesn't. He doesn't even like playing golf. He thinks it's boring. That's right. Um, <laughs> I'm just gonna come out here and smoke the field for like my fourth straight major. What? What? Just gonna go. So, Dave, walk I here. know. Uh, I, I sort of follow along the same lines as as you are. I'm uh, an old school baseball guy, but I've, I've I've changed my tune just a little bit around this. Um, I used to. I, I grew up playing the game and I played with guys who are way better than me, guys that um, went on to play college ball, guys who got drafted, even guys that uh, spent time in the major leagues. And so I was always taught that you didn't have to tell anybody you were good if you were good. Your place, you know, would speak for itself. You hit a home run, you run around the bases, you walk in the dugout, you high five your teammates, but but that's just what you did. You yep. know, nobody nobody needs to know that you just hit a home run because they just watched you do it. You'd have to tell anybody. You know, if you were getting intentionally walked because they didn't want to pitch to you, well, then, you know, there's a reason for that. You're good. You know, you don't have to brag about it or, or do whatever. But over the years, you know, you're starting to see batters, you know, doing the bat flips. And, um, you know, when, when Puig came up, and, and I'll use him as an example, everyone thought, oh, my God, he's going to be thrown at every time because he's just, uh, you know, has a flair for the dramatic at, at the plate. Um, even in the field, he, he eggs runners on you know, out there from right field to, to take an extra base and, you know, test his arm. But traditionally, the batters have had no recourse. So, you know, I can celebrate. You know, I hit a home run and I celebrate. I'm going to take one in the ribs. I get that. Or one of my teammates is going to take one in the ribs. Hopefully. Hopefully they don't go headhunting. Hopefully it's in the ribs or whatever. And that was sort of accepted. But you've started to see over the years that the pitchers have been celebrating more and more for getting big outs. Okay, well, where's the recourse there? Right. Now, in the National League, they do have to come to the plate, and so there's a there's a chance to actually throw at them at that point. But in the American League, not so much. Pitcher starts celebrating, you know, smacking his glove, doing this kind of stuff. And you saw this a little bit with uh, with Chris Archer in Tampa Bay, zubering on the mound, jumping over the over the foul line, doing this kind of stuff. And he's continued that in Cincinnati, and he was a big critic of uh, Dietrich up there. Didn't like it at all. Now. You could, you know, argue the opposite side of that is that, well, you know, as a as a hitter, I don't really like you showing me up by, uh, you know, smacking your glove and yelling and doing all this kind of stuff on the mound after a strikeout. So I think you really just got to, you know, start to let go of some of that like, hey, the guy's good. You th- you threw a bad pitch. He hit it out. He's going to admire it for a little bit, especially ones that land in the ocean. You know, you got to got to get a little bit of respect for the guys that uh, that absolutely crush the ball. So. I will say that about Baumgartner, man. That was a guy that seriously, dude, you need to not be butt hurt so easy. My man, my man did not show you up. All right, yeah. he, he really didn't. Now, yeah. specifically with Baumgartner, if you go back a couple of years ago and you see that uh, you know he had a stare down with Joe West, um, umpire behind the plate. So that I totally got. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. You know, if the umpire's calling a bad game, the pitcher knows it. And uh, he's got every right to be upset about it. Now, this instance here with uh, with Muncie, not so much. Right. Uh, well, it's, you know, it's Joe West who's just is famous for having a, a changing strike zone from inning to inning at times and being just a, a pain about it pretty much every time. It's like it's, it's a mile away or the highway umpire that how dare you question who I am kind of a thing. There's no, there's no fences to hold that cowboy in. <laughs> All right, fellas. Well, listen, we uh, we did the two-minute drill the last time around, and that was a fun segment, but I'm actually going to table that one for this time around to roll out a little something new. I invited uh, toward the end of our of our debut show 
listeners to come at us with questions of their own. And you can do that on Facebook, you can do that on Twitter, or you can do it via email, like I said at the top. And uh, some guys took us up on that. So we got ourselves a couple of dude mail questions. You guys feel like fielding them? Let's do it. Sounds good. All right, let's do this. You've got mail. All right, so question one comes to us from Jason on Twitter. And again, if you want to catch us on Twitter, it's at the Hyper Dudes, hashtag dude mail. And we will get it and take a look. He says, uh, great job on the podcast, guys. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Y'all talked a lot about shows that ended with poor finales. Could you please explain or name a couple of shows that you thought ended well or that you thought viewers uh, were, were well-received with viewers? Thanks. Hashtag dude mail, Jason. I butchered that, Jason. I'm sorry, man. It's been that kind of day. But all right, guys. He'll so do we, better next time, I, we promise. Dude, man. It's, it's, <laughs> we got to not record on Mondays. I'm just going to leave it at that, man. Mondays, it's been, oh, it's been a day. Sorry. Right, Mondays, so, any other day, the bourbon tastes just as good on Monday as it does any other day, so I'm before it. Mm, man. Tempting. <laughs> But uh, but okay, so yeah, last uh, last time around we tackled Game of Thrones, the series finale, all the fallout from that. Uh, shows that ended well. I'm going to take the low-hanging fruit on this one, guys. I'm sorry, but I'm going with Breaking Bad. Uh, of course. I, I, loved, I loved the way Breaking Bad ended. I loved everything about it. I was so satisfied with the end of that show. Uh, there was nothing more I needed from it. When credits rolled on that one, I was, I was happier than I could have asked. I have it a good authority and smoked a cigarette when that show ended. <laughs> it's been a few years on that one. Been been a few years, happy to say. Well, uh, so Breaking Bad obviously is one of the ones to go through. Uh, probably one of my favorites of all time is The Shield. Okay. Uh, you get into The Shield, and, and you know there's there's a payoff. There's a couple of seasons there where you're like, oh, ee. all right, this is a little slow. It's a little slow. But the last season of The Shield, uh, when when Vic Mackey sits down and he starts spilling his guts oh, to wow. that agent, and you're just like, Whoo, there it is, boys. It was the classic <laughs> boogeyman is revealed moment. Yeah. It was, oh, yeah, that was epic. Uh, for me, uh, and I'm, we might lose some of the younger uh, younger listeners here, but uh, MASH okay. um, was one. I grew up watching that um, with my parents. You know, it came on before the nightly news. You know, every night we would sit down and have dinner together and uh, MASH would be on. So I, I feel like I've watched every episode. It had a, another run on Netflix and I spent some time, you know, rewatching some episodes there. And, uh, you know, it was a uh, I thought it was a, a great finish to uh, an incredible series. Obviously, one of the most watched television shows of all time. And, um, you know, for them to put a nice little uh, to put a bow on uh, on that uh, TV series that lasted longer than the war did itself. It ran for, for more years than the the actual Korean War, which uh, uh, should be a testament to the to the program. And I thought they did a pretty good job of wrapping it up. So, uh, so I'm going to go with Mash on that one there, Jason. Good call, very good call. All right, next one comes from John on Facebook. I'm going to try not to butcher this one this time. I'm a professional, after all. In You're light a professional. Of, I am a professional. <laughs> professional what? Mm. To borrow a line from Ferris Bueller. <laughs> Let me read the question. <laughs> All right. John from Facebook asks, in light of Daniel Craig taking another run at James Bond, who was your favorite Bond and why? Also, who was your least favorite Bond and why? Scott, I'll give you first dibs on this one. Go. Oh, God. Um, you know what? It's uh, it's interesting because I feel like a lot, of, uh, a lot of choices people make about... Uh, the, the things that they enjoy are based on uh, when their primitive mind first came across it. So I think uh, 
I want to say that uh, <laughs> that's that's not elitist at all. <laughs> no, like, like, not even a little bit. Because <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to say that the, the first uh, my, my earliest memories of James Bond are Roger Moore. Those those are the movies that that um, that I watched, and so it was you know the campy uh, sort of version of that. And then it wasn't until later on that you, you know, I was introduced to you know Sean Connery and then Pierce Brosnan and all those kind of stuff. So I think I, I'm going to go with uh, uh, Sean Connery as my favorite Bond. Okay. Um, and then um, I don't know. It's 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 tough because I, I there's a special place in my heart for Roger Moore, but I'd have to say that he's uh, he's he's on the on the low end of that totem pole. I thought Pierce Brosnan did a did a little bit better job right. in the time that he had. Daniel Craig has been fantastic. I think he's been an incredible Bond. Um, but uh, to me, remember all the Sean hate Connery he got for being a Bond. Bond can't be blonde. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's the scene where I completely crush this dude in front of God and everybody. Now tell me I'm not Bond. And make my now I'm interested Martini. to see where, where that Bond franchise goes. Yeah, no doubt. Dave, who you think, All right, man? so, I mean, it's the low-hanging fruit with Sean Connery. But uh, Connery, definitely. Uh, Daniel Craig is a very, very close second. Very close second. Uh, as for least favorite, got to go back to, uh, and this is... 1967, the one guy that, that played it, David Niven. They took a guy when, when Connery turned down the role and uh, basically what they what they made it seem like is they still talked about Connery the entire movie as the guy that was taking over the moniker, but you got this guy that's almost 60 years old that like he, he turned 007 over to someone else. It was a terrible movie. Not not good. And it's not his fault. He played what they wanted him to play, but it was just, you Alright, well I will uh, I will die on the hill that is, uh, that is my man uh, Roger Moore. Um, I, for the exact same, you know, my primitive mind and blah, 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 blah. Somebody um, boo this man. Oh man, dude, how did you not, how did you not love Moonraker? Come on. It was oh, a yeah. fun movie. Fun movie. It doesn't always have to be serious. It's a different type of bond, man. Yeah. I mean, listen, I love, played the part that, that was written for him. Absolutely. Um, listen, I love Daniel Craig. I think Daniel Craig has been a superb addition to the, to the bond lineup. Uh, it's going to be a sad day when he goes. I, I really do feel sorry for whoever the actor is just going to take that on after this. But, um, but I mean, listen, I grew up with Roger Moore, and I and I loved it. And I know those are hokey, hokey, stinking movies. But, um, but I mean, he was he was the one that that introduced me to James Bond. And then later on, yeah, I went in and watched the Connery flicks, and, and I know he's the one that made it. But you know, from my generation, Roger Moore was the guy. Uh, least favorite Bond, and I. I hate to say this because I like the actor, Timothy Dalton. Um, you know, Living Daylights was serviceable. Uh, it wasn't the greatest Bond film. It wasn't the worst. I'm trying to remember. I can't remember the name of the other Bond flick that he did. He only did two. But it was the one where you had great white sharks in a tank in a warehouse in, like, Nevada. And, uh, and, and they dangle a dude off a string over the great white sharks in the tank in the warehouse in Nevada. Um, for a very dramatic scene, which was just stupid. So, uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give the the least favorite to Timothy Dalton. You know, you think people freaked out when they introduced a a blonde haired James Bond? Uh, wait till Idris Elba takes over. Yeah, no doubt. Well, they're saying. <laughs> I mean, they may there are people calling for it to be a female. Uh, I don't know how that's gonna go over, but you know, whatever. But I will say, Idris Elba could probably rock it. You know. Oh, absolutely. That he's, dude needs to be the next James Bond. He's a great actor. License to Kill and Living Daylights. Okay. All right. License to Kill. That's the one. The Great White Sharks in Nevada. 
<laughs> absolutely awesome. All right, fellas, we're clicking in on uh, on our one hour marker here. Um, let's go ahead and kick out the white flag again. This is the segment where uh, where we kind of talk about what's on our radar coming up here in the next couple of weeks, heading into our next episode. So, uh, white flag, here we go. White flag. Take it, Dave. <laughs> there you go. What you got? Uh, definitely looking forward to uh, Spider Man coming up at the end of uh, or the beginning of July, and uh, Ford versus Ferrari. I think that looked phenomenal. Yes. At the end of this. Yes. Did you get that trailer before Dark Phoenix? I did. I did. Dude. It looked really, really good. Oh. Uh, also excited mm. to hear today about the uh, Big Lebowski prequel that's coming out that's focusing on Jesus. Oh, God. That <laughs> 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 will definitely need bourbon for that one. Yeah. Yeah, Ford versus Ferrari, I think, is on is on my radar, too. I thought that was uh, a phenomenal trailer. Looking forward to seeing uh, where they go with that. I, I, I just, I was blown away by it. I think, I think that's going to be awesome. What else is on my radar? It's, uh, actually, it's, it's a lot of sports right now on the, on the baseball end. I've been, uh, catching as many games as I can on, on TV and, uh, uh, focusing in on, uh, I guess we got a, a game seven of the NHL playoffs coming up here as well. So I'll be, uh, keying in on that. If it says game seven, that's really, you don't have to tell me what sport it is. You don't have to tell me what's going on. Just tell me it's game seven and I'll probably want to watch it. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, I'll, uh, I'll close this out then. Uh, like I said, I'm looking forward to Liberty Con coming up in Chattanooga here in a couple of weeks. So uh, you guys track me down on social media. Uh, I'll be giving you my schedule and all of that uh, coming up here in the next week or two. Uh, on the, the entertainment front, uh, definitely looking forward to Stranger Things Season 3. Uh, that's going to be coming out here around 4th of July, so excited about that. Ford versus Ferrari. Uh, it's been a long time since I've been sitting in a theater and just completely got blindsided by a trailer that I hadn't seen online. I knew nothing about that film. The trailer ran. Natalie and I looked at each other, and it was like opening weekend. Yep, opening weekend for that one. Uh, for folks who don't know what we're talking about, I posted it on Facebook and Twitter. Go track me down, at Ian J. Malone on Twitter. You'll see the video right there. It's absolutely fantastic. It's, uh, it's a movie about the 1966 24 Hours of Le Mans race where Carol Shelby assembled a team of guys on behalf of Henry Ford to put together the, what becomes the GT40, and they go out and take down Ferrari. It stars Matt Damon, uh, John Bernthal of The Punisher, and Christian Bale, as well as a, a slew of other people that you've seen in bit parts, but it is a really smoking hot trailer. Go, go check that out. So uh, that's what's on my radar. And, uh, oh, there's the matter of our Florida State Seminoles going back to Omaha. So, uh, you know, if it's two last and two, chance. Yep, it is the last chance. Those guys are playing with house money, man. They should have never been there to begin with. They weren't that good of a team, but they got hot at the right time. And uh, and they're lighting it up. So good on them. I I hope it happens. If it doesn't, I am incredibly proud of that team. Yeah, let's uh, let's hope that uh, eleven gets his uh, last chance to win his uh, first national title. And uh, it's uh, it's it's been a strange ride for them this year. But uh, I, I tell you what, uh, they are the cardiac kids this year. So yep. uh, we'll see what they can do. They're definitely getting hot at the right time. I uh, mean, that that's what baseball is all about, especially college baseball when it comes to Omaha. So see how this one turns out. Yep. All right, fellas, pleasure as always. Thanks to the listeners for checking us out. We really appreciate it. Once more, go find us on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, We try and post content up there that we hope you guys will get a kick out of from time to time, whether it's movie trailers, sports stories like the SI piece I've posted up about John Smoltz today. Um, Just stuff that we think you guys will like that, that, you know, that we get a kick out of. We try and share that on those platforms. 
Also, you can tweet us, can uh, hit us on Facebook or email if you want to be a part of our next Dude Mail segment. We're going to try and do that just about every episode. And of course, as always, if you did enjoy this podcast, please leave it a review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcast from. Uh, those really, really do help us out a lot. So again, just uh, take a minute, plug us in uh, four or five stars, tell people what you think. Um, really goes a long way to help us out. So thanks as always to, uh, to my boys here, Dave and Scott. Pleasure chatting with you, gents, as always. And uh, we will see you guys back next time on the Dudes in Hyperspace podcast. See you. See you. See you.